listeners, how did you get into what you do today and where you are today? How? Were you this kid that grew up knowing that this is what you would do with your life? Yeah, I did. I grew up, um, so I come from a military family in Pakistan. Okay. okay. So growing up, I was always into, my parents had retired from the military by the time when I was very, very young. So no, I don't remember them being in uniform, but I was always, we lived in the army areas, right? Always lived in the army areas. So I was always fascinated by army things, right? Um, uniform things. That was always a fascination for me. So when I got to um, Canada, uh, which was my family migrated in 2000, went back to Pakistan in 2001. But then I came back alone a few years later. I was still in high school. And when you know high school was coming to an end, I was like, okay, now what? Now what do I do with my life, right? Like um, asking the parents, they wanted me to be a doctor, right? I was like, I don't, you know, I don't want to be a doctor, right? So um, now what I remember, I was sitting with my buddy and our we used to like me and my uh uh classmate we used to live in the same building so i'm living i'm sitting in his room mm-hmm. name is mo i gotta i gotta say that right mm-hmm. and uh uh mo and i are sitting and i'm like man i don't know what to do and he goes why don't you go into criminal justice right yeah. and i'm like what the hell is that and he goes well so and so is doing it and he plans on becoming a police officer i'm like cool I- i'll do that right i'll do that uh, one thing led to another. I ended up in a school in Michigan, and that's where I went to school for Bachelor's of Science in Criminal Justice. And plan was to become a cop, mm-hmm. right? Um, but when I was in my program, one of my profs brought in a um, an ex inmate into our class, and this guy. Still remember his story. He was uh, uh, twenty-two years before this. He had uh, found out that his dad had hired a hitman to kill his mother. He found out about it, and he went and killed his killed that hitman, right? And he ended up in the prison system um, for life. Right. Then he got out in 22 years and he came to speak in our class and all that stuff. Anyhow, when, uh, and that was a corrections class. And um, so listening to his story, then I, then we had a book that we had to read for that class. And I read that book and I'm, I got, I was fascinated with the, with the, with the life inside, right? Like behind the fence. Well, you know what? This is something I want to do. Right. So I graduated, I graduated school. In the back of my head, I also wanted to be in the army, right? So I graduated school, but I wasn't a citizen. I wasn't a Canadian citizen, still a Pakistani citizen. And I moved out to uh, BC in 2010. And, you know, doing this job, that job, eventually I landed a job with uh, a fire department. And, you know what, now I've put on a uniform, and now I freaking fell in love with it, right? Like it was... That's what I loved. Um, you know, kept applying to different agencies. Somebody told me about correction services. 
not that somebody told me about it. I knew about it. It's just, you know, that final push came and I applied. Yeah. And uh, um, when that final push came, applied, they accepted me. Uh, and they said, okay, you're going to... It took a while. By this time, sorry, I had gotten my citizenship by this time. Then 2011, I want to say. Mm. Or 2012, maybe. But um, then I... Uh, they shipped me off to Saskatoon for training. Did that. Then they posted me to Edmonton. And that's how I ended up in Alberta. Posted me to Edmonton, Edmonton Max Institution. I was there for a while. You know, great. Um, it was it was great. It was a great experience, right? Uh, now, in the past, I've always said that I loved that place. And I did, right? But I as I mature a little bit, I have to say this, that that place also has, you know, whatever you see at Edmonton Max, you don't see it anywhere else. Right. So, um, it has done a lot of damage to a lot of good people, a lot of good officers. Right. And I want to recognize that, that that place, uh, it's not even that it's not for everybody, but there are people out there that have given their lives to that place right and it's crazy what do you and mean by damage though exactly psychological damage even physical damage right like mental damage physical mm -hmm. damage um for lack of better terms it's a very active site when i say very active site i mean you're dealing with a lot of things it's a maximum security institution right so it's a maximum security institution so you're dealing with a lot of different people a lot of different personalities, a lot of different, um, you know, um, uh, people who are not, they're not there because they were followers of the law, let's say, right? Like the our clientele. And then the officers that come in there, the things you see in any first response job, any uniform job, I don't think that your a human mind is supposed to see that. I don't think we are, you know, we are built to see some things. And then in, you get into first response world and, you know, you are, it's, it's a shock. No matter uh, whether you are, whether you could love it, 100% you could love it. But end of the day, that's not something that you were meant to, meant to see, meant to, uh, uh, you know, uh, your mind to grasp and come to terms with it. And it has done damage to a lot of very good people, right? And we have to recognize that 100%. For me personally, I loved it, right? For me personally, every day was great. Um, yes, it was very active. I, I, I liked it that way, made the day go by fast, right? Like, all was good. Um, however, one day, now, this, this I'm going into the laying of the boots on the ground foundation. Uh, not that that day I decided that this is what I was going to do, but um, one day, so we used to work in units, right? Like six of us working the same unit, um, same days on, same days off, all that stuff, right? Two of my best friends, out of the six, two were revolving, right? Like always, you know, new guys coming in, getting trained mm -hmm. even. Four of us were permanent, right? Like four of us were 
like we were the squad we were we were the you know live and die together kind of people um two of them did not show up one one day right it was april 1st something um two of them didn't show up one day because they were out at a you know at a concert the previous night or something and that day we ended up having a very major incident uh which was a a hostage taking and we dealt with it um i dealt with it front and center and um you know took the 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 parties involved took one of the parties out to the hospital blah 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 my shift ended up being almost 24 hours right because of how and i'm not saying this was the most gory stuff that we have seen but it was it was top 10 right like that i've seen in service it was uh, nasty um dealt with it all good i came back uh from the hospital to the institution um early in the morning uh i had been on shift since 6:45 in the morning incident happened around 2:30ish and i got back to the institution at like maybe like 4 a.m. 3 a.m. 4 a.m. something like that right so i did my report everything i'm leaving and i stopped by the manager's office and i go hey man i'm just going cuz my shift is supposed to start again at 6:45 right uh i'm just going to go home shower and stuff i'll be back in a bit and he goes well you you could take a day off right like that's fine you're leaving now of course we don't expect you to be back um technically you're supposed to have 8 hours off before between shifts i was like you know what no I'll, i'll be back right i'll be back so i went home showered changed maybe took a nap um uh, got back to work the reason only reason i went back to work that day cuz yes i could have stayed at home was number how i said that my buddies were not at work now i knew that my buddies were going to be at work right my buddies were going to be at work mm-hmm. and those were the people that i wanted to be around right i didn't want to be home alone i wasn't married at the time i was a single guy i didn't want to uh be home alone after such a long incident and you know big incident of course yeah so i wanted to uh go and be with my friends and i went you know we talked it out and everything was good right that day i was part of the peer support team at our work right and i'd done many peer supports many peer but you know what i don't think i personally understood the importance of it until that day right like i didn't understand the importance of the service that i was providing as part of the peer support team right uh i didn't understand it cuz i didn't need it until then right and i didn't do it like it wasn't an official um critical incident stress management it was just me going in to talking to my buddies they weren't part of the peer support team they were just my buddies my unit mates right like my brothers so when in you know whatever it was back in my head you know it was good like talking to my buddies it was good that's what i needed anyhow um few years went by and got married things changed uh my wife is from calgary so we decided to move back this way to calgary from edmonton and i transferred to another institution now when i got to that institution now 
and I at the same time I got promoted. Like I worked behind the behind the fence for maybe two months before I got sent away okay. for a for a promotion course, which was a three month course out in PEI. Um, and I went out there, did my course, came back, and I was promoted. Right, now, I was promoted. I got into a a um a position where you worked. I wouldn't say alone in a partnership, right? But not in a unit, right? Like you weren't working in a unit. Now I was a training officer, right? There are only two, three training officers per site, right? right. Like every site has. Uh, so, or you're traveling around the country training recruits, right? Uh, so I was doing a lot of that. Um, one thing that was, I started missing was that camaraderie, right? Like the, the people that were around me, um, people you could, you know, kind of swear here. Yeah. Yeah. People you could shoot shit with, right? Like, um, just, you know, that brotherhood was gone for me, right? Like, I'm sorry. So, uh, one thing I would like to bring up so I don't forget it later is it's very important for people to understand that your mental health issues might not come from something bad happening. They might come from something good happening, something good like promotion, something good like you're moving into a position where now you're higher up. Remember, higher you get, the more lonelier, more lonelier it is, right? So um, you get into a position where now you are not with your people. and The ground also, level, the crew. Yeah. yeah, and now you're losing the brotherhood, and now that has a lot of effect on on uh mental health of people right like for me it did right and uh then yeah then the old things from that incident started coming up like the incident that i already mentioned and other things started coming up because now you're alone now you can't talk to anybody about these things right like now now what right i tried seeking help i tried seeking help uh went to different you know uh different programs uh, psychologist, therapist, all that, nothing was working. Nothing was working. Um, Mo, just and, for the listeners, what, what happened to you? Like, where, when did you realize there's something not right with me? Was it your behavior changing? Was it you not wanting to be around people anymore? Your temperament was different. What, what was going on where you realized, I'm not right, I'm not okay, something's wrong with me? Uh, I'll tell you exactly when I knew that something was wrong. I show up to my new place and I remember the two months that I spent inside, okay, mm -hmm. spent behind the fence. Uh, now, during those two months, I had, um, now this place is a, the new, my new job um, or my new location, I guess. We dealt with a lot of sex offenders, Okay. I was coming from not a sex offense world. I was coming from, you know, other crimes, gang crimes, all that kind of world to now sex offense world, right? And I was working the intake unit, right? So new inmates that are coming in, I was the one who was, you know, doing their paperwork and stuff. First inmate comes in. And uh, I'm just trying to think how much can I go into detail? Inmate comes in and uh, he had some heinous sex offenses. Well, not uh, 
Yeah, heinous sex offenses on his record, right? Against family, against grandchildren, let's say, right? Not let's say, it was against his grandchildren. Uh, one of the reasons we moved down here to Calgary, for me, was, uh, hey, my family, I want my... Uh, whenever we start a family, my wife and I, whenever we start having kids... I want I wanted them to be close to grandparents, right? My parents were still not here. I I was gonna move my parents to Calgary area. My wife's family was here. I didn't grow up around any family, so I wanted my kid to grow up around family. So um, I saw that, and that was the first time ever that I brought work home. I was quiet at home. I didn't say much. And now this is like my first week on the job, right? Yeah. And we have just moved here. My wife is starting school and she is not loving it. And I'm starting this new place. And now I'm all of a sudden quiet. And, you know, she thinks that I hate her for having moving us down here and blah, blah. And, you know, because uh, not that she moved us down here, but, you know, she wanted to be here. She did not, I, I, I could, I could tell that she did not want to be in Edmonton. Um, you know, she's thinking all this, and third day after I had read this file, remember at this time I didn't have a kid. Third day after, third day after I read this file, I'm going to work. I'm on my motorcycle. I'm going to work, and I'm like, man, I hate this. Right? Like, what the hell? Right? Like, wh why am I here? Right? Like, I I don't. So I didn't mm -hmm. go to work that day. I booked it. I went straight to Edmonton to talk to my buddies again, yeah. right? I went because I didn't have <laughs> those kind of buddies in right. at my new job yet. So I drove, I rode straight to Edmonton and I, uh, you know, I wanted to chat with my buddies. Anyhow, thing came and thing went all good. I got into my new job again. Things stayed in the back of my head, like those, you know, sex offenders and this and that and blah, blah. Fast forward, now this is 2019, okay? September 2020, my daughter is born, right? Mm -hmm. Always wanted to be a girl dad, always, you know, I'm, I am I love being a girl dad, always wanted to be one. I get a girl. Awesome. Uh, my parents have moved here and all, and uh, flips, uh, I'll switch flips. I'll switch flips where I go, I cannot trust the grandparents around my daughter anymore. Because of the guy that I had dealt with. Um, well, now what do I do? Right? And um, I really hope my parents are not going to see this. But one day, I, uh, my daughter was, I don't know, four, five, six months old. She could sit. I remember that. So six months old, maybe. So all of this was in the back of my head and nobody talked to mm -hmm. right? Like my buddies are not here anymore, right? Yeah. My buddies are not here anymore. Uh, my new, uh, by this time I'd started, of course, my new job, my new position as a trainer. So I don't have the camaraderie within the units, mm -hmm. all that stuff. So I don't have anybody really talk to. And uh, I go, um, uh, my my dad is visiting. My daughter's there. My wife's gone out somewhere, and I'm like, "Hey, I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna work out quickly at my and my garage, right?" So I go to my garage and I start working out. 
and every 30 seconds, you know, after every set, pretty much, I am coming in just making sure, hey, everything good, everything good, right? But in the deep inside me, I knew why I was checking. I knew I was checking because there was a grandfather out there who had molested his own grandchildren. At one point, I was coming into the house and my hand is shaking as I'm reaching for the knob. My hand is just shaking as to what the hell am I going to see on the other side of that. Now, uh, that happens and I go, you know, whatever, the day is over. But that night, now I'm mad at myself for thinking that. Um, another issue with, I'm sure everybody has it, but some people say it out loud that I, I have a visual, I'm a visual person. So I have this video running in my head. Um, I look at, you know, I, I'm like, how can I think that about my dad? Right. Straight up. So I'm mad at myself. Um, a week goes by, whatever, nothing really happens. A week goes by and I'm quiet, right? Like I don't share my stuff, right? So I don't, I, I was quiet and, uh, we are going somewhere and my wife is in the backseat with the baby and I'm driving and we are going somewhere and my wife says something, nothing major, right? Like something very minor. Um, and I got irrationally upset. I got more upset than I should have been. Honestly, I shouldn't have been upset at all. When I look back at it, it should have been like, whatever, mm -hmm. right? Like one of those blow it off kind of one. But I lost it. I started yelling, started losing my mind to a point where my daughter started crying. And I had to park the car and get out of the car. Right? Like I'm losing my mind. That was the first time I ever lost control. First time I ever lost control. And that was the day I realized that I needed help. Right? Like I needed to go get help. Um, there were a whole lot of other things that, you know, I was compensating with. Like I know, you know, we look at the positive things in life and we think that person must be doing okay. Right, mm -hmm. if they're not doing anything destructive, right, to cope with things. But end of the day, we are avoiding whether we are avoiding with drugs or we are avoiding with alcohol or whatever. Like there's some underlying issue that we are dealing with, and we are avoiding it by numbing it with alcohol or with drugs. I was numbing it with making myself super duper busy. Right, like super duper busy was, uh. I don't know where I was like, I used to hate school. When I was in school, I used to hate it, right? It's like, I'm going to start a master's degree, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to start that. I'm going to start other things, right? Like doing other things, just making myself busy, just avoiding what was happening in front of me, right? Um, so eventually, uh, that was the time I started seeking help, like going out, seeking help. Um, during this time, even before this, 
I had looked out, I had uh, reached out to Boots on the Ground that is in Ontario. And I said, hey, I saw your website and all, and I like what you guys do, and I want to do it, right? Like, I want to volunteer. And they said, well, we don't operate in Alberta. Right? For the listeners, what is Boots on the Ground in Ontario first and foremost? So Boots on the Ground is a peer support helpline for first responders by first responders, right? At that time, it was first responders by first responders. Now it is for military as well. But uh, it was uh, for first responders by first responders, it was a, you know, a 1-800 type of a number that anybody could call, and it's anonymous and confidential, and um, you just call it and you just talk to somebody, right? Mm. You you could remain anonymous if you wish. So I liked their model, and I wanted to volunteer. I wanted to be a you know a call taker, and they said, "Well, we don't operate in Alberta." Uh, so that was that. That was the end of that. That was twenty nineteen ish, right? That was the end of that. Yeah. Um, all good. Uh, moved on from that, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, went out try to seek help. Nothing was really working. Mm-hmm. Um, it came to a point where. I seriously considered going back to Edmonton because I knew I was deteriorating and it was not good for my family. It was not good for mm-hmm. um, good for anybody, right? I tried my best staying away from any self-medication, right? And uh, yeah, so I just, you know, kept on going. And then um, eventually... The boots on the ground stuff stayed in the back of my head, but I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna wait for them to come to Alberta. I'm gonna bring it to Alberta myself, right?" And then that's the next, next, mm-hmm. next phase. I guess I'll, I'll get to that in a bit. Um, during this time, I kept looking at things of what the hell was wrong with me, right? Because, you know, I wasn't jiving with anybody long enough yeah. for me to continue on the thing. And uh, in my master's program, I came across. Um, one one class was about uh, health issues and military veterans and stuff, right? And I read about it, and one of the things that was in there was mental injury or moral injury, right? Okay. Now, moral injury, as I understood it, was uh, you know, your morals say one thing, but you have to do something else, right? Um dilemma if you want to call it ethical dilemma if you want to call it that right whatever it is but moral injury was what i what i was like okay yeah you know what this makes sense because my morals say a certain thing about dealing with sex offenders i can't do that my job asks me to do something else uh so my morals have been injured in that right so I understand where this is coming from, right? Uh, and I talked to a few people, a few other people mm-hmm. who were like, I knew who were struggling with different things, but they didn't know what it was. I'm like, hey, here, study this, right? Study moral injury a little bit. And then when they did, most of them were like, yep, that makes sense. That makes absolute sense, right? So I wish we would recognize that a little more, moral injury a little bit more. But because uh, you know what, we have all these other eyes, right? TBI and OSI and this and that. Well, why not have an have a mm-hmm. thing in in our 
think that's MI, more injury, right? Um, should be in there. But anyhow, um, so yeah, that's how, that's the, that's the long and short of my, little bit of my professional background and then how Boots on the Ground came into being and Boots on the Ground is a different chapter. So uh, good transition point if you Absolutely. have any other question about yeah. it. Yeah. I just have a question for you. You've seen evil and you've seen good. What sets them apart in human beings? Because you've seen the darkest of people. Is there good in them still? You know what? The normal people that are out there, right? It bothers me to this day how um, ignorant they are as to how much evil there is. That's a dark side of people who work in my line of work is we look at the world very differently. We look at the world from... Hey, no, you, your, 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 your kid could be, your kid could be, uh, kidnapped and done very evil things mm-hmm. uh, to buy, honestly, somebody that you never expected, right? So, is there good in the world? Yes, there's good in the world, right? But, uh. You just never know who is it that's going to turn. Because you know what? The people who are bad don't come with warning signs. Right? People who are going to do something evil people, before the first time they do something evil, there was no war- there's no, you know, a warning label on them that, hey, this person is going to do something evil. Right? The particular example that I used was literally anybody's grandpa. Your grandpa, my grandpa, my kid's grandpa was another guy. Was just another guy. Right? Just another old man. You, you know, you would not, you would not expect anything off them. Off them. Um, so my world, and I'm sure the world of many others who have seen the things that I have seen, is similar where we are very suspicious of everything and everyone. Are you still uh, that way? Am I still that way? Yeah, yeah, I'm still that way. So you're guarded. And I don't think it comes from a point of uh, being naive or paranoid. I think this is reality. You've seen this. You've mm-hmm. seen evil. Mm-hmm. When my um, my dad if or my parents, if they're watching my kid, right? And they send me a cute video of my kid, and my kid is, uh, you know, not wearing a shirt or something. I am very mad about it because, you know, for them it's them sending a cute video of something. For me, it's like it's gonna end up in your cloud, and your cloud is gonna get hacked, and then some pedophile is gonna have access to it. Right? That's how my head works. Um. The typical, now it's such a cliche that it's, you know, I don't even mention it anymore, but I will, is you go to a restaurant or something, you are sitting, you know, with your back against the wall and you could see the exit and you could see everybody. And if that's not the case, you're most uncomfortable, right? Yesterday I was in Edmonton and I went to, um, I had some commitment and I went there and I was in a mall 
and I went and grabbed my food and I could not find a goddamn corner corner seat anywhere, right? Like everything was taken. I went and ate in my car, right? I was like, no, I'm not sitting there, right? This was yesterday. Mm-hmm. What does that um, mean for like someone that doesn't know what you're talking about here? What does that mean? Why Why is that the case? What are you looking for? Why do you want the corner? Why are you looking at the exit signs? What, you're just always looking at any threat that may come, right? Like to you or to anybody else. Right? Like you need, you can't have your back exposed. You can't have your back exposed. I am alone in my house right now. I'm sitting in my house. I'm alone in my house. That door is closed, right? Because if that door opens at any point, right, I have time to react. If that door is left open, then my time to react mm. decreases. Okay. Right? Um, and the only reason I'm sitting where I'm sitting is because I could see that door in the camera, right? And this is my own house, man, okay. let alone anybody anywhere else, right? Um, so, you know. No, it makes sense what you're saying yeah. now. I see. Okay. Yeah. So that's always, that's always how it goes, right? Like it's always, uh, you look at the world from a different angle. You're always, always watching, always watching and always remembering. I have a thing for plates, right? For license plates. Right. I just have a thing for it. And I know <laughs> there's been times where um, last year I was riding motorcycles with, with some of my friends and we get to, you know, Revelstoke, BC. And my friend is about to go out to, like, she's checking in into the hotel and they ask for the license plate number. And she's about to go out. And I'm like, your license plate number is this. And right <laughs> after, I'm like, how creepy do I sound? <laughs> she doesn't know her own license plate, but I know it, right? But I was behind her, so I, was, I just have this thing yeah. for plates, right? Like, I look at plates, right? Uh, make and model and plates and all that stuff, right? Like, that's just my thing to do. And I'm like, I should have just stayed quiet, right? But no, I was like, no, this is your plate, right? And um, uh, anyhow, so, you know, those things, like, you just observe things, right? Like, you just yeah. observe things. They're, they're always there. And... Um, so those things, yeah, never, never leave, uh, never, never leave you, right? Like your mind is always occupied. You're mm-hmm. always looking, always watching, always that, right? Um, so yeah, there's, uh, there's that. Uh, like right now, I'm like I'm behind this, behind my computer, is a window, and the curtain is cracked a little bit just because. So I could look outside. There should not be anybody there. But if anybody ever is, I have some concerns, right? So, yeah. You're always on guard. Always, right? Always. And it's 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 exhausting. I'm not even, like, that's mm-hmm. not even, like, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. Um, now I have started seeking therapy. And now I feel like I'm in a place where I could seek therapy. Yeah. I have diagnosis of PTSD. And now I'm seeking therapy, but even then it's like, you know, it's, it's always there. I appreciate you being a part of Mentel. Oh yeah, for sure. Thanks for that initiative, honestly. Thank you for being a part of it, bro. Like we needed all of us to do this. Yes. As men, buddy, we we have gone too long without talking. Mm -hmm. We have gone too long without talking. We think there's nothing that could bother us, right? Like as if somehow that is, um, somehow that's going to take away from my manhood if I talk about it, right? 
somehow that's uh that's uh uh you know a chip off my bravery you know it, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an attack on my bravery no 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 we go out and we do many things for our families right day and night right whether we are law enforcement whether we are first responders whether we are civilians anybody men are supposed to go out and do these things for their families and i'm not i'm not discounting any women right now but i'm really we're talking, talking about men tell exactly i'm talking about men right now right men go out and do a lot of things but men don't have people to talk to about right i was brave enough like if i was talking about just military and and uh first response worlds cuz we are such alphas right all of a sudden it is against some code of bravery to talk about stuff no no my bravery was my bravery your bravery anybody's bravery who's in the mm -hmm. first response world and military world was signing up to do these jobs was signing up to go into the danger when everybody's running out that was my bravery right talking about it is not taken away from that at all mm -hmm. talking about it is actually part of that bravery we need to lead the path in telling everybody hey listen uh we could talk about it right i had done this uh i'd gone to this one seminar and there was this company that was doing uh it was in its you know very very young very mm -hmm. they were doing a presentation and i can't remember where it was and what the company was called and i really hope i could catch up with them one day but they did a presentation where now they're going to do forensic sweeps of with with families um consent they're going to do forensic sweep or any military personnel or any first responders who die by suicide right just to see what is it that the, the collected data of what it was that they were going through in the last few one thing that is very common amongst first responders amongst military members is the last person they call before they commit suicide if that call goes unanswered is not to their family not to the spouse not to their parents not to the kids not to tell the kids i love you take care of yourself not to their family to tell them that, that i love you take care of yourselves not to their wives who you know like the person who loves them the most it's to their work buddy it's to their buddy that they work with last last hope is that i'm going to call my buddy and i'm going to talk to them and if that call goes unanswered that um uh, a lot of times many times end up in 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 a suicide um we are always there as men taking care of our families right like many suicides that happen happen away from home and even if they are at home every or not every but most times precautions are taken to minimize the damage so the family doesn't have to clean up after you right all those things um minor things like taking care of business before mm. if somebody has planned on offing themselves right they're going to take care of all the business so the family doesn't have to go through stuff right like i got to uh uh take care of my family before i go 
even in the last act, they're looking out for their families, right? So it's time that we actually talk about stuff before it's too late. So Mantel, of course, was, mm-hmm. I really appreciate it. And I, I've had um, private conversations about the things with people like, you know, our friends like Chris Gore and yeah. um, Daniel. And I've had, yeah, and Daniel. And we have had chats offline where it's like, yeah. what, what about this? There are things that, you know, men would love to talk about, but that's going to cause uh, a lot of disruption in families even, right? So there are still things that we can't talk about, but, the, you know, there are things that we it's can. A, it's a start. It's a layer, yeah. right, of yeah. the onion, and we're slowly peeling it off gently. It's not a, a sprint. It's a marathon. Exactly. When it comes to buddy checks, thank you for doing that, by the way. Of course. Yeah. Of course, bro. we got to, you know what, my... I do over over 70 buddy checks every first of the month, right? So if you haven't seen the if you haven't uh, seen the the trend yet, the trend is I will message you on the first of the month. Right? Like now, yeah, people are starting to recognize it. It's like, oh, it's the first of the month. And you know, sometimes it goes to second and depending on how many, but normally I check on about 70, uh, at least 70 people. And not again, not just men, women, men, everybody. Mm-hmm. Right? Um even like people who are kids to me, let's say, right? Like my, um, yeah, I, I, they're kids to me. They're not kids, but they're kids to me, right? Because um, everybody has something with them, right? It's a matter what age. Yep. In my head, it is if I reach out to 70 people and if each one of those reaches out to fucking 10, right? We're reaching out to a lot of people, Right. And then they reach out to 10 and then they reach out to 10. You know what? Let's put this pyramid scheme to a good use. How's that? Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, let's do that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, always, what does it take, man? Like every time I've messaged you, it's always been, Hey bro, how's it going? That's it. Mm-hmm. Right. Or I specify, cause sometimes it's like, there were times that I noticed that people wouldn't get back to you because they think I'm st- you're starting a conversation to get somewhere, but they are not in the place to have a conversation with you, right? Like they're yeah. busy right now. They're at work right now. They're, you know, anything. Like they're just not in the mood right mm-hmm. now. So now I've actually started adding buddy check time. How are you? Right. The answer to that is I'm good. That's, That's all it. you need to know. Yeah. That's all. Right. Uh, just, just so you know, I'm here if you need if you need anything. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? Yeah, I like that. Um, and that's all anybody needs, really. Yeah. We have too many things going on, man. Let's, you know, we could always lean on each other. And you know what? Time and time again, it has been proven that we could all we have is each other. Yeah. Nobody's coming to save us. No. No government is coming to save you. I don't care what anybody says, right? I don't care how many politicians are, or or politicians at the top level at least, right? I'm actually more fan of our local politicians than higher ups, federal government. Uh, But uh, um, no matter how many times they get up and say, um, we are doing this for mental health. No, you're doing this for for your votes, right? I don't want to get into that, but 
end of the day, all we have is each other. That's 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 literally just a text. It's so true. No one is coming though. We need to rely on each other, lean on each other. Um, that's the only way we're gonna learn, grow, and share. Exactly. Right. Exactly. That's how we're gonna make sure that everybody everybody's safe. Everybody's there for their families. Everybody's there for themselves. As we transition over to Boots on the Ground, Alberta, thank you, first of all, for the uh, invite to the inaugural event. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah definitely wanted you to have there. Yeah. Wanted you to be there. The you building club. I could say bye. You were busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. Billy Club, though, that was, that's a that's a spot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, thanks to the uh, Calgary Police Association. It was, uh, yeah, they were... They were very good to us. Yeah. They did not charge us for that place, actually. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta say that. What is Boots on the Ground, Alberta? And how can people A use the free service and also volunteer for it? Uh Boots on the Ground is a peer support helpline for first responders, military members. That's what we advertise as, but it is open to anybody and everybody in North America to give us a call, right? Don't have to be a first responder. Don't have to be a military member. Um, You know, we will answer your phone. We will never turn anybody away. Uh, When you do call the number, which is one 724 2684 when you call that number, uh, the person who answers the phone, right? One, they can't see your number. It shows up as a uh, uh, private anonymous, private anonymous number, right? So nobody knows who's calling, and um, you just 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 talk. You don't have to tell us who you are, who you work for, what's your name. We don't ask for any of that. You want to tell us that? Sure, tell us that. You don't want to tell us that? We don't care, right? You want to talk about anything? Let's talk about anything, right? Um, we have had people call us who literally did not have anybody to talk to. That's it. And we talked to them, right? We have had people call us after major incidents. And like I said, we have people who called us just because they needed somebody to talk to that day, right? Um the person who's asking the phone call is either a police officer, a correction officer, a firefighter, a paramedic, a military member, a nurse, or a dispatcher, emergency dispatcher, right? You have to be one of those. When I say sorry, when I say police officer, I mean like any law enforcement, so sheriffs, peace officers, anything like that, right? Um you have to be one of those to join us as a volunteer, okay? As a call taker, sorry, I should say. Um, so you have to be one of those professions, first response professions, to be a call taker, right? Retired or serving, mm-hmm. doesn't matter, right? Uh, when I say retired, I mean not end of service, but if, if you have done any time in first response world, you could be a call taker. And um, so you you apply to us uh, through our website, even botgalberta.com. 
uh, or, you know, you could send us a message, send us an email or anything like that. And uh, you do this application process, you send us a resume and you send us a cover letter. When we first started, I was very skeptical of the cover letter resume. I'm like, we are asking first responders who are set in their careers to send a resume to do to do cover letters. And I was like, man, they're not going to do that. We're not going to have enough volunteers. We are got. I've gotten to a point where now, again, I've matured since last year when we were when we were trying to start up. Uh, when the whole plan was coming together, um, I've come to realize, you know what, we are in the business, not a business, but you know, in the work of you have to operate it like a business. Well, we are in the work of saving lives of our brothers and sisters. And if you cannot be bothered to, you know, brush up your resume and your cover letter for it, we don't want you. Like, that's as simple as that. Once we go through the recruitment process and you're approved to join us, then we ask you to go get a, a police record check, right? Just to mm -hmm. cover all your bases. Doesn't matter. You could be a serving police officer, but yes, you have to go get a police record check done. You get a police record check done, and we have a copy of that. Um, then we, you know, then we bring you on, and then we send you on two trainings. Mm -hmm. One is a two-day uh, critical incident stress management training, assisting individuals in crisis. It is an accredited program from University of Maryland, and a second program called Assist Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training. That's a two-day course as well. And we pay for it. Like our volunteers don't pay for anything. Okay. We pay for it. Normally they are, we are trying to make SISM online, right? Like we are offering it assist. Sorry. We, yeah, we are offering it when we have trainer available assist. We plop you into other classes. So sometimes you need to travel for it. We'll pay for the travel. We'll pay for the hotels. We'll pay for all that, right? Like we, we are, we will, you won't have to spend any money of your own to get the training done. Yes. Would you have to take time off work? Yes. You would have to take time off work. Would we pay for your sick leave? No, we won't pay for your sick leave, right? Like you have to, those things you would have to do. Um, and then we train you in our in-house training. That's one day. Okay. Uh, our in-house stuff of policy procedure, how you answer phones, what you can talk about, what you cannot talk about, mm -hmm. all that stuff, right? And then you are ready to go on and take a shift, right? Wow. And uh, we ask for a total of like a 16-hour commitment throughout the month, right? We run five shifts a day, so four four-hour shifts, and then midnight shift is eight hours, right? So 11 to 7 is eight hours. But during the day, it's like 7 to 11, 7 a.m. to 11 a.m., 1100 to 1500, 1500 to 1900, 1900 to 2300. So you don't have to be in a physical location, though. This is this is on your own cell phones. On your, okay. We have we have a system. You just go log into that, and now anybody who calls our number, the one eight six six number, your phone is gonna ring, and it's gonna show up as uh, boots on the ground. Yeah, unknown, unknown caller, right? And uh, you just ask them, your own phone is working as normal. So if you're getting an unknown number caller, right? Great chance is that somebody's calling boots to the ground line, right? 
but your own phone is still working. Is uh, this in um, fire departments, in the locker rooms of police departments? Because I think it's a it's a great initiative, not only just for the now, but it's being proactive instead yeah. of you know, a little too late in the game. Yeah, so we have put our word, our 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 information slips out as far and wide as we can, right? Uh, are they in the locker rooms? Yes, they are in the locker rooms. Are they in some trash bins? Yes, uh, some are in the trash bins. That's that's the uh, the game. Yeah, it's as simple as that, right? Like, um, we have nothing to gain from it. I am the president of the of the Alberta chapter. I brought it here. I could my hand on my heart. I could tell you that uh, I don't get a single penny out of it. Okay? Mm-hmm. We are volunteer. It's a charity. We are, we are a charity, uh, registered charity with CRA. I don't get a single penny out of it. Not one of them. Not a single uh, uh, volunteer at Boots on the Ground gets paid. Okay. Every penny mm-hmm. that we raise goes back into the program, into trainings, into that, like training, just training, right? Assist, if you were to put a class together, just one class of like 15 uh, volunteers is going to cost us 3600 to $4,200, right? SISM mm-hmm. uh, training, so far we have been lucky, but that's about to change. But to find a location, to put people in, uh, and instructor fee is normally so far we've been lucky again my a uh, good friend of mine has was the trainer but recently he has uh, other commitments so he's not going to be doing it anymore so now we're going to need to find mm-hmm. trainers and trainer fee is normally four hundred dollars a student right so if you're putting you know <laughs> do the math people, yeah right yeah. how many volunteers do you guys currently have thirty. Wow, good for you. Yeah. yeah. Um, honestly, it has gone down since we launched. So it, uh, background, uh, we started, the idea came into being, we registered in Alberta in September of 2022. But we were like, okay, we're going to, then I had to build a team, right? Like I got it registered, mm-hmm. yes, but now I need volunteers to answer the phones. So I gave myself a year to build that, like have volunteers. So September 2023 is when we launched our help our helpline. Our helpline is live since September. Um, but they uh the volunteers since have gone down, right? Like sometimes you commitments, yeah. You find out that this is not for you, right? Uh this is very real, right? Like, yes, people call us when they need somebody to talk to, but people also call us when they're in crisis, right? Uh, it's very real. You have you are in the business of saving lives, right? So, um, so some people find out, yeah, it's not for them, and which is fine. I'm I'm totally fine with it. People have left. Um, so have you are, had to take on the line for twenty four hours at times, sometimes or twelve hours? Have I personally signed yeah. up? Yeah, yeah, I signed up. Like when no, I no, no. Sometimes if there wasn't enough volunteers for that day, do you just take the line? We have never had that issue yet okay, where we didn't, because we do have enough volunteers to take the lines, right? I would like to have 300 volunteers, mm. right? Everybody, like not anywhere, people are not getting burnt out, right? But remember, our minimum is 16 hours um, 
uh, a month, right? Uh, do I always, uh, and I am part of that 16, like I, I fulfilled that commitment of minimum of 16 hours. Normally it's more than that, but we have, I have volunteers who have put in, we launched in uh, September 25th. So we are coming up on three months and I have volunteers who have put in almost 400 hours, right? Incredible. Which is a lot of hours. Right? So, um, yeah, so in, in, in three months, in less than three months right now, I could tell you, yeah, we are close to some mm -hmm. volunteers putting in 400 hours, some volunteers putting in, you know, we have a little recognition program for our volunteers when they finish 200 hours and 400 hours and blah, blah. And I just did recognition um, two weeks ago for three volunteers who were over 200 hours, right? And then one of them was very close to 400 hours, right? So, mm -hmm. um, um, but yeah, that's within first three months. What so, does boots on the ground mean itself? The phrase boots on the ground. Does that just mean so you're not falling down? It's you're standing up? Boots on no, the ground. like we are here, right? Like we are not we are not sitting there in a planning phase and we're not sitting there on a table and 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 you know having putting our minds together and let's do this. No boots on the ground. We are here now. We are great. Execute. Yeah, we are executing, right? Mm. So in military terms, you know, you you plan an action. But that action is only a plan until boots hit the ground, right? Like so, until mm. until soldiers are on yeah. the ground. On the ground, okay. Cool. So, well, thanks, bro, for your time today. I appreciate you, man. For sure, brother. Thank you. Okay. Cheers.